0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron, and we've been off for a few weeks, and a lot has transpired, but we have not forgot about you. We are here to catch you up on everything, uh, get you, um, how would you say, on fleek with all the latest news. Uh, do people even say that anymore? I don't even know, but we're going we're gonna to get you up to speed with everything. Uh, but before we get into all the news and stories, Byron, let the listeners know why you should be listening to Politically Entertaining.
1: Wow, man. It's been a minute. But basically, uh we're here for people that don't follow news and politics uh, on a regular basis. So we try to come to you. We normally come to you once a week, but we've been slipping a little bit lately. But we try to break it down to you in a less than hour format. Uh, we'll get to some of the more serious stuff first. We always started off with something non-political. Those of you that have listened to the show before know that Frank is, and he always corrects me on this, he is a Miami Hurricane alumni, and I am a Florida State fan. And they met a few weeks ago, and they barely won, you know, because we pretty much have a freshman quarterback starting for us. So our team is decimated, and they barely won on a little cheap play at the end. But I give them their props. They're undefeated. They're ranked in the top ten so before we get into news and politics, I, was just, I just wanted to give you a good minute to gloat and just, you know, talk about the you and what you expect from your team because they got a quarterback from our hometown.
0: Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you for being so gracious. Now, I mean, I will, I will admit that the Florida State win, it wasn't the most satisfying from a standpoint of you know, we didn't beat the real Florida State or the Florida State that had, you know, Jameis Winston or even last year DeAndre Francois, who was healthy, but it was a psychological thing. I think the difference with college and pros is there was a psychological hurdle that Miami needed to get over, which was beating Florida State. Uh, We had come down the last couple years and lost on the last possession or lost at the very end. So just getting over that mental hurdle meant a lot. And I just want to shout out Malik Rosier, as you mentioned, Malik Rosier is the quarterback for Miami. And here's a guy who, Came out of Faith of Academy and wasn't really expected to even play. He was behind Brad Kaya last year, and this year Miami got a new quarterback, uh, N- Nikosi Perry, who's supposed to be like the real deal, dual threat kind of quarterback, and, uh, Malik beat him out, and he's been just so clutch at the end of these games. Miami hasn't necessarily been dominating, so I won't, I don't know that we're all the way back, like, you know, when I was down there during the heyday in the early 2000s, but I will say that I'm impressed with the coaching, I'm impressed with what they're doing, um, and they have a better mindset. So I, you know, I don't know how it's going to end, end up for them this year, but certainly, um, if they don't make it, at least make an appearance of uh, representing the coastal division and ACC, ACC championship, it would be a disappointment. But I'm really excited about the season and this next couple weeks, uh, where we have, uh, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech is going to really tell where we go. So stay tuned and, um, hopefully I will have, um, keep coming up all smiles, uh, when it comes to Miami. Uh,
1: Mike Ryan on the Dan Levitar show describes this team best when he says, you guys are a year away from being a year away. So they, they look pretty good, man. I got to give you your props on that. With that said, let's get into some politics. Listening to Politically Entertaining Your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now, your host, Frank, thank y'all for and joining Byron. us again. We have been gone for so long. So much has happened from uh, finding out that the Clintons paid for the Russian dossier to uh, the Senate. They passed a bill last week saying pretty much that the banks can take you to court, but you can't take the banks to the court. Remember who's in control of both houses in Congress? Remember who's in control Uh, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? They told you that they were going to look out for the little guy. So pay attention to that bill they just passed. Uh, And your boy also released some JFK files, which I think is meant to be a distraction from what's really going on. But the first thing I wanted to talk about, man, is this GOP on GOP beef, man. You got Retiring Senator uh, Jeff Flake from Arizona, who's a Republican, who gave a lot of people call it a blistering speech on the Senate floor, criticizing this administration and the politics of this current Republican Party. And you also have uh, Senator Bob Corker from Tennessee, also a Republican, who has he hasn't been shy about taking shots at the president from saying that, you know, the White House has become an adult daycare and just saying that. He's pretty much incompetent. Here are my thoughts on this, Frank, and I want you to weigh in on it. Uh, my first question would be, while, while I applaud them speaking out, because there aren't many Republicans speaking out on the outrageous thing that this president says and does from time to time. But why wait till you're on your way out when you're about to retire and have nothing to lose? If you had these true convictions, couldn't they have been said a lot earlier, especially in Bob Corker's case when... You know, he pretty much he supported Trump during his uh, candidacy. So you didn't see any of this while he was running, because from day one, Trump showed you what he was about. And even before he ran, while Obama was president, he showed you what he was about by, you know, uh, clamoring for the birth certificate and all of that nonsense. So while it's great that they're saying and doing these things, I can only applaud it so much because. My main question is what took you so long and my question to you is do you welcome the criticize not the criticize the criticism from these two Republicans or do you criticize the timing of their criticism
0: I think it's just white noise uh, pun intended uh, you know I, you know no offense but you know white America is fine going along with uh you know trump and everything and 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 everybody knew what he was doing you know every and let's let's just call a spade a spade everybody knew he was, he was baiting and playing and, and race pop racial politics and everybody went along with the ride um and now that you know it's not necessarily as palatable because some of the p- policies travel bans health care tax reform aren't going as smoothly now people are kind of saying oh yeah well you know we were never really with this anyway but if you were really against it, you would have stood up and said, hey, you know what? I don't care if I get reelected. I'm not going to run and support this guy. So I, I'm not impressed by any of the speeches or anything because I, I'm not trying to, to, to um, hold hold us up to a higher standard or hold hell kennel up to us. But it's like our show, we've been saying this stuff, and I get it. We're, we're hardly the CNN or the Fox News of the world. But we were saying this just as regular uh, taxpaying citizens. We've been having these same conversations for a year when the whole time Trump was running for president, we you can go back and listen to any podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, Google Play, and just pick any um, topic. Anytime we talk about Trump and we talk about his ineffectiveness in, in, in leading things and in delegating, you know, everything he's done is a mess. So there was no indication that him being elevated to the highest office in the land, in the world, was going to change and make him better i mean we always we have all these cute sayings about don't turn the hoe into a housewife and and other such things but it's just like you can't sure. you can't turn a um a you know basically an incompetent man into a president i mean that's really what you should be saying here he hasn't done anything well he's a second generation silver spoon bum as you know to quote uh, lebron who you know basically has never built anything on his own And everything he had, everything he's done is full of holes and leaves people in, leaves rubble behind. All the unpaid small business workers, all the, you know, people he's, um, hurt in, you know, he's. I mean, come on, man. The guy's on his third wife, and and that's another thing too. While we're just while we're on it, have we ever seen a first lady that's been more quiet than uh, Melania? She does not (laughs) want to be here. She does not want to be here. She's like, is it over yet? She's like, oh, my God, it hasn't even been a year.
1: So, yeah, <laughs> I'm done. You said something interesting, too, when you said uh, we knew what he was about as far as uh, how he embraced white white supremacy. And ta Coates pretty much pointed this out when he said that Trump was. The first white president. And what he was saying by that is, you know, there there have always been dog whistles going back to Reagan's uh, campaign and the whole welfare queen thing. But Trump, he didn't whistle. He yelled. it. You know, there there was no dog whistle when it came to uh, how he embraced white supremacy. And so I thought that was interesting for Coates to say that and to hear you pretty much reiterate that. One other thing that I wanted to say that's off topic of this whole GOP versus GOP thing is Republican senators were kind of making fun of the Obama administration for uh, nominating a a lot of judges during uh, his eight years that had empathy. They were making fun that the Obama administration had this whole empathy clause where they were looking for judges who showed empathy towards certain races um, in their courtrooms, and they laughed it off like that's not what you need to be a judge. You need to be, you know, someone who's going to follow the law. No, that's not true. When you look at the history of this country and how certain people have been treated in it, you do need judges that, yes, they need to know the law, but they also need to have that empathy and be able to fairly judge because time and time again, as we'll talk about in this next subject with the NFL, minorities in this country rarely have ever had a fair shake in our criminal justice system. So it just kind of irked me a lot to hear some of them kind of jokingly criticize the past administration on that when that's something that we need more of, especially when you're talking about the type of president we have right now. Um, So at the beginning of the football season, you and I both said that we pretty much wasn't going to watch the NFL. And I know me personally, I wasn't trying to, convince anybody or force anybody to do the same you know it's my own personal I don't even call it a boycott I'm done with the league it's not just about Kaepernick for me it's about a whole bunch of things Kaepernick was just like the final straw but wasn't going to talk about them at all but then they had this owners meeting recently and the big quote that everybody is talking about is owner of the Houston uh, Texans Bob McNair who came out and (laughs) said And it's quoted as saying we can't. He got the quote wrong. Actually, it's supposed to be prisoners running the asylum. But he said we can't have the prisoners running. I mean, yeah, we can't have the uh, inmates running the prison. So a lot of people are very upset about that. And it's reported that uh, a lot of Houston Texans players were ready to walk out on the team as they didn't show up for practice the next day or whatever. So. This is what I take from this, Frank, to me, because I listen to some of the quotes from Dan Snyder and Jerry Jones, where they're pretty much. And, and let me be clear. I don't think they, you know, love the American flag so much that they're so offended by players kneeling during the anthem. It's not about the flag for them. It's about the money. And to them, they feel like players kneeling during the anthem are turning off a lot of fans and hurting their bottom line business. But my criticism on that is the NFL, from the commissioner to the owner, seem to only be caring about white fans and their feelings. They're, they never when, – when we talk about the ratings dropping from NFL games, we never hear about, well, could it be possible because a lot of black fans are no longer watching us because of how we did Kaepernick? That's never, ever taken into account. It's always about this, quote, white man who has his feelings hurt about players kneeling during the anthem – when again, I'll say this again. I have been at games. I have been there when the when the anthem has been sung, and until Kaepernick kneel, nobody had this holy respect for the flag. You had people ordering nachos, digging in their butts, checking their cell phone. Now all of a sudden, the anthem is this sacred thing. So it's it's been, it's a bunch of BS, and it's always been a bunch of BS because. Real people know that this is not about the flag. This is not about the flag at all. But I wanted to get your take on owners in the league seeming to only care about white feelings when it comes to this. And my bigger question to you is, do you do you see a solution that will satisfy all sides, from the owners to the players to these offended fans? Is there a solution that can satisfy all sides in this equation?
0: Man, um, I don't know even know where to start. I would say no. There's really not a solution to satisfy everybody. I don't think. I, th- I think that the real question is: Is there a solution that will kind of make this, how would you say, go away for the most part? Um, I think that's what people. That's what the. There's a, I'm fumbling my words here, but if there's articles on ESPN which goes through the actual meetings. Um, which are pretty pretty interesting. There was a meeting. It was actually a first meeting where uh, Roger Goodell actually probably did actually a pretty good job running that meeting where the players and owners sat side by side, intertwined with each other, going through some of the issues. And there was the on- the owners only meeting, which is getting a lot of press now, where um, obviously Bob McNair made his comments about inmates running the prison. And it's funny you made a comment. You said he got the quote wrong. He did, but did but he did and he didn't, right? I mean. True. you know in- inmates running the asylum is something we just kind of use as a thing of hey crazy people shouldn't be allowed to you know but inmates running the prison has an even weirder thing because it's like well, why are they in prison and asylum uh, almost has a different thing like hey these people aren't capable inmates running a prison means like we're in control you're an inmate in this prison like incarceration i don't know it's just it's interesting that he used that and he made, but 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 it's two different things right but but th- my thing is this so you have an issue where obviously the bottom line is money. And the difference is, and there's a great article I think you posted on Undefeated about basically the reason why the owners care so much about the white fans is because their audience is majority white. So as an example, they use they use the MLB, Major League Baseball, for those who don't know that acronym, and the NBA, um, National Basketball Association. And they show that, you know, the difference with that is basketball has a younger, more ethnic audience, and they cater to that and they have the players that stand up behind that baseball has a uh more caucasian audience and their players represent that and so it kind of works whereas the nfl's in this weird middle ground where most of the players are black you know and most of the fans the majority of fans are white so you have this thing where is coming off like the white fans are almost saying, "You ungrateful niggers, you know, stand up for the flag, stand up for this country." And you know, the black people are basically like, "Look, you know, you don't understand how we're being treated outside the lines." And yes, it's great that we're making this money, but we're speaking for people who don't have that voice. I think people are not understand because there's not any empathy. And then you obviously have the madman uh, at, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue who is, you know, fanning the flames to his, you know, for his own incompetent presidency. And, and so it's clouding the real issue the real issue is black people um, forever have been being mistreated in the court systems and, and by police and we're trying to come up with a resolution to to, to draw um, attention to this you know ever since Con Cap Neal Terrence Crutcher Philando Castillo, and um, Alton Sterling have all been killed In very questionable police tactics, and none of those policemen have been arrested, or I mean they, I mean some of them haven't even been indicted, but none of them have been, um, excuse me, how would you say convicted? That's that's the term. None of them have been convicted. So the the thing is, that's the problem right there is that you know people are worried about the flag, and you know, you know the thing about the interesting thing to me is there's this weird, strange dichotomy of patriotism. Um, becoming this thing where it's so intertwined with the flag and it's almost turned into um, almost a religious thing where the the flag is almost an idol, synonymous with Christianity, you know, and that's not the case. I mean, and and it's it's kind of funny that that, that's almost working like that, like, oh, it's American Christianity when Christianity didn't even originate in America. I know there's people out there and I'm going to step on some toes and it doesn't bother me at all because it's my show. But... Christianity is not a white man's religion it never was it didn't originate in you know I know some some there are some angst about the way it, it was used in the past but the point is it's been incorrectly infused with America and they have nothing to do with each other and so there's this weird dichotomy where people are like yeah stand up for the American patriotism and the white evangelicals feel like they're under attack from the black man but realistically the the whole issue is the, the people that you look to oppress is bringing you the most joy every week and you can't stand that they're speaking out. And they're not just taking what you, what, you, what you offer them. You're not just watching. They're not just taking it in silence. And, you know, it's going to be a hard lesson for you know, all those people who, I don't know how to say this, but you, it's, 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 it's very ironic that you worship a game that's played by black men. And there's, it's, I'm just going to leave it right there. There's something behind that. There's a reason why. <laughs> and that's, I'm just going leave it right there.
1: Sounds like a Django reference. That article you mentioned, man, it says something like uh, the NFL fan base is about 70 some percent white, while its league is about 65 percent uh, black. And it it was a great article. I I may post it again on a politically entertaining's page, but it was pretty much saying that the NFL needs to start embracing black and younger culture a little bit better, or else it's going to be how baseball is. You know, baseball at one time was where football is now, where it was the number one dominant sport, but it refused to change its ways and and the whole tradition of the game. I put that in quotes because I can go off on a whole other subject about the tradition of baseball. And the, the racism behind that. But they need to begin embracing it a little more like basketball has. Or otherwise, they're going to continue to see their ratings slip. And, you know, the younger crowd is going to be drawn to uh, the NBA. One more thing I want to say, too, man, it's interesting that black people are always told that we should be grateful. And I found something funny. Somebody tweeted at Bo money I guess he hosted a part of interruption on ESPN today. And someone said it, it, how dare you talk so bad about Bob McNair and defend these millionaire athletes? And Bomani was like, You do realize Bob McNair is a billionaire. So, you know, whenever we criticize or speak our mind, you know, we should just shut up and be grateful for what we got. I always find that funny that black people, we have to be so appreciative of what we have as though we don't earn our money the same way. But. Anyway, a lot of sexual assault news going on since uh, Frank and I have been gone. Uh, former President George H.W. Bush, uh, R. Kelly again. Uh, Harvey Weinstein was the big one. And uh, Bill O'Reilly resurfaced again. Just a whole lot of uh, you know bad behavior by famous men. And the hashtag MeToo was going around on social media a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to take this conversation in a different direction because we've spoken many times on, you know, just abuse against women in general, sexual assault, all of that. We know it's bad. That's an easy position to take. But my question to you is, especially when the whole Me Too hashtag was going around, a lot of men went. Are men, have men always been this sensitive to to criticism because men were, were mocking the hashtag and, and questioning it and saying uh, it can't, you know, it can't be that many incidents. Some of these women are just making this up for attention. They're lying. They just they want money and, and all of this doubt and second guessing and, and feeling offended. I, I just wonder, have men always been this way or, do, or are we just getting softer in, in these later days. But my other question to you, man, is this, because this is what frustrates me about a lot of these stories are black people and women in, in particular that uh, do some of these same things. And the reason I point these two groups out is because these are the two groups that I feel should be able to empathize the most when it comes to discrimination and mistreatment. But is male, male privilege so strong that we, it, you know, it forces a lot of people to second guess women that come out. So you got like 150 women coming out against Cosby or against Harvey Weinstein. And it's like you always get this whole they're just seeking attention. They just want money. Why do you think that blind spot still, cause especially with women, Shouldn't they, they, you know, empathize a little more or I guess I don't know how to really put it in the word, so to speak, but it just seems like it's this huge blind spot when these two groups in particular should be able to pick up on this a little more man you're gonna force me to go back in my bible um but so i
0: mean (laughs) so so i'm gonna gonna get i'm gonna get as deep as i I mean we haven't done a show in a long time so i might as well just go super deep and so people could be like man either i'm gonna gonna stop listening to this show because dude is crazy or i'm gonna keep listening to the show because this dude has some revelations so i'm just gonna (laughs) go for i'm gonna go for it so i mean you asked me a question about male privilege um it goes back to uh, simple as Adam and Eve, you know, if if you will indulge me for a second, even if you don't believe, here's the story. Um, Adam and Eve were created um, perfect in the garden, told not to eat of the tree of knowledge lest they die. And Eve, tempted by the serpent, ate the apple, gave it to her husband. And of course, you know, the rest the rest was history. Now, one of the things interesting after that, after God came and said to them, hey, you, um, I see you guys ate from the apple, what's going on? Uh, Adam says, Hey, this woman you gave me, ain't, he gave me the apple. You know, basically, like, this woman is no good. She set me up. Yeah. And so God is like, Okay, all right. Well, you know what? You're both out of the garden, and I'm going to create enmity between you and the woman forever. And that is it right there. I mean, in a nutshell. Now, obviously, you say I'm oversimplifying it, but am I really? That's the root cause. That's why every time we always ignore, like we're always like, ah, maybe she's trying to get money, maybe it didn't really happen. I mean, how many sexual assault rapes come out against famous people and we say ah this chick chick might be chasing money now sometimes women has <laughs> the woman has been chasing money in some cases but in a lot of cases there are multiple women who have been abused who are afraid to come out and that first woman is the bravest one because then after that you'll see a lot of people come out remember darren sharper remember when we were like oh yeah yes. trying to get money right yeah and then we found out that he was like a really sick deranged man or somebody like dave meggett um who I grew up watching on the Giants you read, read about Dave negative story if you want to hear a horrible story about somebody um there are the a lot of these guys who have just taken advantage even R. Kelly I mean that's the thing people are still I, and I'm not here to debate the R. Kelly thing if you listen to his music that's fine but pe- the fact that people are willing to say well he's got talent and indulge in what he's done he has destroyed so many young black women's lives and and so for people to overlook that because they like bump and grind or 12 play was a great album or they like trapped in the closet what kind of sickness is that that it's like a built-in enmity against women so that's kind of to me why it exists the way it does. And that's why it's like there's no, it doesn't, it's like, wow, you think after all the stuff in the Weinstein case and the Cosby case and some of the things that come out of the NFL that we would be like, man, you know, there's a lot that we have to fix. Everybody's kind of like, oh, okay, oh, well, that's messed up. But I mean, nobody's really, um, I mean, that's the thing. Even while this was going on, a lot of actors in Hollywood turned a blind eye, even if they weren't doing it. Like a lot of the famous guys knew what kind of what was going on, you know, wink, wink, nod, nod. Yeah, they they didn't see it, but they you can tell when something's going on, um, certainly. And, and I think that we just have an issue in this country, in this world, and really in this world, where remember we talked about it was like we did a show probably maybe last season, and there was three different instances. There was a white woman, white couple, excuse me, a uh, Asian couple, and a black couple, and they all pretty much did the same like they all had the same like basically disrespected the woman in some form or fashion and it was just like it was across all races so it's something that's built into us and honestly unless people um really look at themselves and admit they have the capacity to overlook um women by by their own nature it's going to keep happening because everybody's like oh it's not a big deal and i mean i remember you know, um, seeing the Me Too hashtag and being like, man, I, I you know, and I, and, I, and I totally understand there was a lot of women who went through that. I was thinking, wow, that's a lot of women. And that's really scary because, you know, we both have daughters. Uh, we both married, uh, to, to lovely women. And so to think that, you know, our wives could have ever gone through that or that our children or our daughters could ever go through that. You better, I mean, people are so, you got to wake up, you know, because the same people that's blowing that off now. It's like you might have a cousin, a daughter or, you know, a wife or whatever that could go through that same situation. So it's a real thing and we have to pay more attention to it. But um, uh, f- just for the most part, man, men just don't have that general empathy. I think it's built in that way.
1: So speaking of that Me Too hashtag, uh, Gabrielle Union, the actress that's married to uh, Dwayne Wade, she told probably one of the most uh, compelling stories of her experience with being raped when she was working at uh, Payless. And it was, it was kind of a brave thing to do, because what a lot of people don't realize is it's embarrassing for a lot of women to come out and talk about this. And because how society has routinely treated victims that come out, a lot of women don't want to put up with the second guessing and the doubt. And, you know, just not being believed, it makes it more frustrating and I imagine even more uh, painful for them. But you and I, we were talking before we began recording today and we were talking about comedians. You you just recently saw Chris Rock and the best comedians tell a lot of truth. And I remember doing the uh, Dave Chappelle show because you talked about R. Kelly in your uh, answer. And I remember that skit. I don't know how well you watched the Chappelle show But he had a skit where he pretty much said that, uh, you know, a lot of black people, they'll never convict another famous black person, no matter how much evidence. And one one of the skits he did was against R. Kelly. And pretty much his character was asked, what would it take for you to believe that R. Kelly committed these crimes? And he was like, I need to see R. Kelly on the video with his song playing in the background. I need to see the underage ID of the girl. I need to see him literally pissing on the woman. I need his grandmama there to verify his identification. And I need him to be holding his ID and social security card all at the same time. And his homeboys in the background saying, yeah, that's him, too. And the guy, the guy was like, isn't that unreasonable? He's like, no, that's not unreasonable. That's what I need. And I feel like that's what it takes for some of these people to believe the allegations against these people, because I've come to the conclusion that everybody agrees that it's wrong to abuse women, to rape women. Everybody agrees that, but we only believe it when the uh, perpetrator is someone we don't like. If it's somebody we love, like R. Kelly or Bill Cosby or Bill O'Reilly, if it's somebody you love, you're not going to believe it. That's when you write it off. If it's somebody you don't really care for or don't know, oh yeah, he did. So. We got to get beyond that, because I personally was an R. Kelly fan. That dude made some jamming music. He made some great music. I think he I still think he is a musical genius. I can acknowledge that and admit that I think he is a creep. So we just need more people to be able to separate the two. We intentionally wanted this to be a short show for you guys. You just got me and Frank today. No guests before we get out of here. I just wanted to touch on this real quick. I'm not going to say a lot, just in case you wanted to uh, chime in on it as well, Frank. But uh Cook County, there's an article in the Chicago Tribune. Uh Cook County, which is in Chicago, came out and pretty much uh wrote an article about how the city of Chicago has hired up to 970 new cops while giving these massive cuts to the uh, district attorney's office. And this is all caused by they were hoping for this soda tax to pass where they could tax these uh sweet sweetened beverages a lot more to make up for revenue. So they wouldn't have to make these cuts. But, you know, they found the money to hire all these cops, but they had to cut the district attorney's office. And some of you may be saying, well, there's a lot of crime in Chicago. They need all the cops they can get. I get it. I'm sure they do need more cops. But what I fear, and it's something that we talked about briefly on a past show, Frank, It's a Khalif Browder uh, incident. And Khalif Browder is a young man that was in New York, was arrested for a stolen backpack that he did not steal, by the way. But because of, you know, such a lot of incompetence within the court system. But one of one of the incidents was one of the reasons was such a a limited amount of uh, district attorneys and they. Quentin Brooker talked talked about this, how they were they're overworked. They have so many cases that come before them to where it's hard for them to even care about the person that they're representing. And Khalif Browder just kept getting recycled through the process, through the process for a crime that he didn't even commit and wind up doing. I think it was over three years for this. This was a young man locked up with grown, hardened criminals. And it changed his life to the point to where he wound up taking his own life not long after getting out of jail, and so I fear this in Cook County. I know it sounds good when a, when a when a crime-ridden city says that they've hired a lot of cops, but a lot of people should be very concerned, if you care, because some of you don't care about certain uh, groups of people, but if you care about this sort of thing, this kind of news should scare you. I did want to give you an opportunity to say anything on it if you uh, wanted to.
0: That's great. That's a great lead in, man. You, you mentioned Chris Rock and one of the things, um, and I would encourage you to check out his show, but I won't get, I'll give this little bit away that he said is very interesting. He talked about obviously some of the police brutality stuff and he talked about, you know, the fact that most cops probably are halfway decent. He said, but the bad apples are what's going to, is what caused the problem. And so if you hire nine to 50 cops, there's gonna be some bad apples in that and another thing chris rock also pointed out was they don't pay cops enough and you get what you pay for so now we've got 950 underpaid cops working in probably one of the most dangerous um cities um certainly by reputation alone and that's going to cause angst and problems right like so if you're in a if you're doing you know if you're policing like in you know a retirement community you're not going to be nearly on your guard on your guard if you're like in the blue light district of the wire you know what i'm saying like your whole attitude is going to be different. So people are going to come with all these biases. It's going to cause more problems. And, you know, I, I think that people don't understand that crime is crime is a symptom. And the police stopping crime does not stop the symptom, does not start, stop the problem of crime happening. Yes, it, it may, they may arrest certain criminals, but why are the criminals being created? Why are they existing? The cops can't fix that part. And I think that is what people don't understand, that... I think there's some, I think there's a lot of people who live in certain neighborhoods or live a certain way or, or, you know, even, even it's not, it's not a racial thing. It's a class thing who live in certain neighborhoods and say, oh yeah, the neighborhood needs to get cleaned up or it needs to be this. It's like the opportunities is what creates the lack of opportunities is what creates the criminals. And now you're having police that are over policing. That's creating another problem in and of itself. So I definitely don't think that's going to be the right answer. It's definitely not the right answer. I don't even have to think about it it's like it's going to cause more problems um for for the people um in in that county and it's just unfortunate that it's not understood how to handle um you know the funny thing is we 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 watched the wire which is obviously based on true story you remember how um i can't think of that guy in the second season who was just basically instead of trying to build cases like just do street rips just just arrest people and you know freeman hated um i can't think of the guy's name you're gonna i'm gonna have to look it up but basically policing is not about arresting people and more cops are just going to arrest people you need more you need more attorneys and, and people you need like detectives building cases not people arresting people so that you can get to the root cause of the problem and i don't think this is going to help
1: yeah the, uh, those the, the names you were thinking about on the wire is pretty much all of the brass from uh deputy Rawls to uh The commissioner Burrell and even Lieutenant Daniels at first was all about street rips. And it was McNulty and Freeman that wanted to do the, uh, the high end stuff. But, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, it's, it's scary, man. And I just, we, we don't, we don't need one Khalif Browder is more than enough, man. That's one of the saddest stories I've ever watched. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, it's called Time, the Khalif Browder story. You should check it out. The way and, and and what happened to that young man is is very devastating. Before we go, man, I'm gonna let you take us out. I just wanted to say rest in peace to Fats Domino and I'm gonna need your help on this other name. I just know he played Benson and he he was he had one of my favorite lines in Lean on Me with Morgan Freeman when he said, Contrary to popular belief, I'm the head again, George. Uh, Robert, is it Guillaume? I think it's Guillaume. I want to say it's Guillaume. Guillaume, yeah. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace to both of those brothers, uh, and I'll let you take us out, man.
0: Man, I just want to thank all the listeners again for tuning in. I know we've been gone for a little while. Um, I do apologize if I was rambling because I just had some things I needed to say. I'm grateful for the platform you guys give me for listening to the show, Uh, and, and, and I just am excited to be back on with Byron again the second season uh, we're just grateful that, like I said, we were able to do a second season and just continue to shine light on issues and things socially, politically that need to be um, addressed. And just want to continue to um, uh, tell people about the show, have people listen to the show. Um, we, want, we want to encourage you to listen. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, uh, Google Play on podcasts, and also check out our interviews on YouTube. Uh, there, you, There's definitely some good stuff there as well. So we just want to thank you for listening. Uh, Be safe out there and we'll see you guys soon on another episode of Politically Entertaining.
1: Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.